This is Andy Tool, head coach at Robert Morris University Men's Basketball, and you're listening to The Tool Shed on Colonial Sports Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another very special edition of The Tool Shed. I'm Austin Bechtold. Joined by Ethan Morrison and Nick Hederick, my buddies here on the Tool Shed. Joined with our very special guest, the creator of our name, really, who we name our show after. That makes it sound like he walked up to us and said, hey, name this. No, we we honored him with naming the show the Uh Tool Shed after head men's basketball coach Andy Tool now joining us here on Colonial Sports Network. So, Andy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys, and I'm honored uh, to to have a podcast uh, named after me or in my honor uh, i found out about the name the tool shed actually from joe gallo you know who was a former assistant now the head coach of merrimack he called me early in the fall and said you know there's a podcast called the tool shed which i had no idea about so uh i'm happy to finally be here yeah he told us that remember? yeah he did yeah we oh, wrote yeah. we wrote a blog and uh, we interviewed him and he said do you know like andy loves that name and i said no and he goes well he like thought it was hilarious and i go oh my god <laughs> I, I've never felt right. that honored yeah. in all oh, yeah. four years of covering stuff here. I've never felt that honored before. Well, it's it's funny because like you don't ever really think you know. Obviously, my job is to try and win basketball games and get guys to graduate and recruit good players and you know be good ambassadors for the university and all that stuff. Like you never actually think that anyone always pays attention or would name something after you or whatever. So sometimes when those things happen, they just make you laugh a little bit because you don't always think that uh, everybody's paying attention or that they think that would be a good name for a podcast, but. Uh, I'm, I'm happy you guys thought of it, and um, like I said, glad to be here and talk Army Hoops. Yeah. Of course. So just to begin, when did you have your start in basketball? Why did you decide to really take the route to play basketball and eventually go into coaching? Uh, I started playing when I was four years old. So this is, uh, I think, my 36th year of having a team or being a part of a team. And I, I don't really know. Uh, I know that, you know, from what my mom tells me, you know, my, my dad was around the game a little bit. Um, my dad grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and he, he was around the game a little bit and kind of introduced my brother, my sister, and myself to the game. Uh, my sister played Division One basketball. She played at Sacred Heart University. She also coached for about five or six years. She coached at Brown University and Fordham University and, um, you know, doesn't coach any longer. Uh, I'm the youngest of three, and so, you know, when I kind of came around, I just, you know, naturally, you know, the ball was around. And, you know, my mom tells stories of me going in the driveway, and we had an eight-foot hoop, and, you know, I, I couldn't even shoot a basketball at the time, but I would just keep throwing it at the basket. She said once about every half hour I would run in and say I made one and then run back out. And, you know, that kind of was where I fell in love with the game. And uh, like I said, I've been on a team ever since, you know, and uh, when I was done playing, you know, I wanted to figure out a way to stay involved in athletics. I didn't know if it would be, you know, high school coaching and teaching, college coaching or teaching, you know, working, you know, in, in basketball in some other form or fashion. But uh, as I kind of graduated school, I was looking for opportunities to play overseas. I had some opportunities to play overseas, but I got into kind of individual instruction and small group training and things in my area in New Jersey and really enjoyed the teaching aspect, enjoyed watching guys get better, enjoyed uh, working with good players and trying to figure out things that they could add to their game. And so it really just lent itself to you know, getting into coaching. And I wanted to be around good players. I wanted to be around competitive situations and 
you know, coaching was the right avenue for that. Uh, you were with the hoop group in New Jersey, and you discussed that a little bit. What was that experience like, and how did that gain experience for you, especially going into then coaching a college basketball team? It was great. You know, it was almost like going to grad school for coaching. You know, it was you learn the business of basketball. You know, I, a lot of my uh, great relationships in whether it's with high school coaches, whether it's, you know, grassroots or AAU coaches, you know, came through my time at the hoop group. You know, I was at first I ran a 28,000 square foot indoor facility, four courts. I was running tournaments. I was setting up birthday parties. I was running camps, clinics, uh, doing all these different things, just being around the game. And then I uh, actually for a year and a half, um, Pat Sumanek with the yeah, there's Pat there. Sumanek. Yeah, there he um, uh, and then for about a year and a half, I ran their recruiting camp. They had an uh, exposure camp called Eastern Invitational at the time. And we would have 3,000, you know, prospective student athletes coming through camp, a lot of them in the month of July when college coaches could go out. And so, you know, I was responsible for recruiting kids to that camp. I was responsible for running that camp, staffing that camp. Uh, and it was a monster. But it was great uh, entree into the coaching world because you're working with high school coaches, you're working with AAU coaches, you're working with parents, you're working with families, you're working with college coaches to try and almost, you know, connect the dots for them. Hey, this is a good kid. He's playing on court seven. Go check him out. You know, and so you kind of really got exposed to a lot of the way that college basketball recruiting works and you were able to create a network that you'd be able to rely on once you got into coaching. Mm -hmm. And like jumping from being a coach there and then how did you like get that connection with Mike Rice and then being able to start as an assistant at Robert Morris. So Mike, um, Mike was actually working at the Hoop Group when I began to work there. He was leaving, and, and Mike had had you know over a decade of college coaching experience under his belt at the time. Uh, Mike and I actually met at a park in New Jersey, and we we didn't know it. We had a uh, a little bit of a pickup battle at one point in time, and I had no idea who he was. I was still playing in college, and he knew who I was, and so through some people that I had. Uh, come across they said hey you know you you know Mike you 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 know played against him in this park and I was like I have no idea who this this guy is and um, one of my first days working at the hoop group he comes walking in and he says uh, he says Andy Mike Rice and I'm like oh this is the jerk from the park so I knew exactly who he was at that point in time and um, you know he was leaving we worked together for about a year and then he left to go to St. Joe's to be an assistant again and he was at St. Joe's for two or three years, and then he came to Pitt to be an assistant for Coach Dixon, and then obviously got the head job at Robert Morris. And so we just became really close during that time, um, shared some similar views on the way the game was supposed to be played, uh, the way that you're supposed to work, things like that. And so, you know, when he got the opportunity here, you know, he called me and asked me to come and be on his staff, and, you know, it was an easy decision for me. So what's it been like, just your experience as a whole, before we get into this season, just being at Robert Morris and being able to win NEC championships and go to the tournament and coach as well? It's been amazing. You know, obviously um, coming here, you know, I, I never stepped foot on this campus before I took a job here, right? Um, I had been to Pittsburgh a couple times in my life, but, you know, not, not frequently. Uh, the first time I came here was my junior year of college for the NCAA tournament. And we played uh, at the, at, you know, Mellon Arena. Uh, and that was the first time I'd ever been to Pittsburgh. And, you know, I thought the city was unique and cool, but I was here for 24 hours. I wish my stay would have been a little bit longer, but it was, you know, only one game and, and we were out. But, you know, when Mike offered me the job, he said, you know, this is a thing, uh, this is a place where we're going to have a, 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 re a talented returning roster. We're going to have upperclassmen. He said, I think we can win games. I think we can compete in the Northeast Conference. And Mike had scouted Robert Morris the pre previous year when Army played Pitt. And so he knew their personnel. Uh, he knew the landscape of what was returning and thought this was a place that we could win. Obviously, Greg Delamo, who was the president at the time, 
had, was the uh, vice president at St. Joe's when Mike was an assistant there. So there was some familiarity, you know, with the two of them. And so there was a lot of things that just kind of worked in our favor. And, and we came in and uh, I, I picked Mike up at Pitt, you know, on the, his last day there. And we drove over to campus and um, got to work, you know, and we had, you know, good returning players, Tony Lee and A.J. Jackson and Jeremy Chappelle kind of were the building blocks of that group. And um had three great seasons, three really memorable seasons, a couple of championships during that time. And, you know, then I was promoted and, you know, obviously I've been here now 11 years and extremely fortunate for the opportunity that I got at 29 years old to become a head coach of a Division One program. Uh, just the, the strides this university has made at a whole in the 14 years I've been here, you know, the, you know, whether it's, you know, the Wheatley Center, the nursing school, the business school, Salem Hall, the engineering school, you know, the renovations to this building, the UPMC Event Center, the student rec. I mean, the number of things that have changed on this campus in the time that I've been here are dramatic. You know, it takes sometimes large institutions like this, you know, decades to make changes. I mean, so much has been done in a decade and a half. It's it's crazy. So, you know, the, the memories are, you know, plentiful. Um, the, the relationships I've made have been incredible. And the experience as a whole has, you know, been something that, you know, I never believed would have happened as quickly as it has. And then having it work out as well as, as, it, has, as it has so far uh, has been, you know, even that much more rewarding. And then how did it feel to be named the youngest head coach in Division One basketball? Like, what was going through your head at that moment? Uh, it, it was bizarre. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when Mike left, Craig Coleman was the athletic director at the time. And, you know, he kind of reached out to me and said, hey, listen, we're going to we're going to treat you as an internal candidate. We think you can you know, you have an opportunity to get this job. Uh, we're going to interview for this job. And if you don't interview well, then we're going to open it up to other people. And so I remember sitting in a conference room in Joe Walton Stadium for what seemed like an eternity. I think I was in there from 10 in the morning until, you know, five or six o'clock at night. And, and people just rolled in, whether it was, you know, athletic administrators, whether it was other coaches. Uh, whether it was faculty athletic reps, whether it was institutional advancement people, whether it was trustees, you know, it was just one after another, after another, after another. And I just sat there and, and I was prepared as I could be. Uh, I felt like at that time, I, even though my resume was small, I was the most prepared person to coach this team. No one knew the players better. Uh, no one knew our system and what we had done over those three years from a stylistic basketball standpoint better than I did. And if we wanted to try to you know, retain some of those guys, if we wanted to try and continue some of that success, I felt like I was in a good position to make that case. You know, obviously people question, you know, your age and people question your experience. But I think that's anytime you're going to go from an assistant coach to a head coach, they're always going to you know, question that. And in your first year, I don't care if you've been an assistant for five years or 15 years or 25 years. I, I don't know if you're entirely going to be ready to handle that. Right. It's just a new experience and you prepare as best you can. And then you, you know, hope things work out in your favor. Uh, so to be 29 and to be given the opportunity was something I was uh, incredibly grateful for, uh, something that, you know, again, never envisioned happening uh, the way that it did. And, you know, I, I went to work to try and put together a staff and a team that would would show that that was a good decision made by, you know, Dr. Craig Coleman and, and Dr. Greg Delamo. And you mentioned, you know, how long you've been here. And RMU has a lot of long-tenured coaches, Derek Schooley, the Viscalias, you, uh, yourself, Joe Walton, of course. I think uh, we all might know that name. Mm -hmm. um, but when the new athletic director came in, Chris King, was there any worry in the back of your mind that, you know, you might have a short leash? Now, granted, you won an NEC title, so I think you probably felt pretty safe pretty quick. But when that new regime comes in, you know, is there a mindset of I really have to prove my worth now? Or I mean, I think you're always trying to prove your worth. You know, certainly when there's a change in, in leadership, uh, in your department, I think there's, 
you know, you wouldn't be a human being if you didn't think, okay, how is this going to affect, you know, whether it's my program, our team, uh, future, you know, all those kind of things, right? Uh, but I think if you go and you do your job the way that you're supposed to do your job, I think that you, you know, earn that trust, you create that relationship. And Chris and I have certainly, you know, built a strong relationship in the almost two years that he's been here now. Uh, you know, as soon as he was named the AD, we, we were on the phone, you know, immediately uh, and, and trying to work in conjunction to, you know, help elevate this program, continue to help the success, can fig- figure out what, what we can do next. And I, I think that that's certainly uh, in, in his vision uh, and in mine. And I think when you have, you know, those opportunities to, to work with people like that, I think it, it creates good stuff. I, I think if you're a coach as well, you, you know what the life you've chosen, right? It's just, it's just what it is. And, you know, there's either coaches that have been fired or are waiting to get fired. And I think that that, that comes with the territory when you decide this is going to be your career. And um, it's not always easy, but it's, it's a part of it. And, you know, you, again, that's why you work every day to try and make sure that you limit, limit the possibility of that happening. Mm-hmm. So what has been the hardest part about transitioning from the NEC to the Horizon League? Obviously, I would imagine the talent level is definitely part of it. But outside of the virus, what has been the most challenging part of it? There's been a lot of challenges to it. You know, the virus certainly didn't help it. But, you know, I think the size across the board is something that I think we knew we would be, you know, losing Yanis Mendy, who was a guy who, you know, wasn't a shot blocker, but he helped us protect the paint, protect the rim. He was a great positional defender. He was a great post defender. Uh, he would step in and take charges all the time, which, you know, make people less inclined to maybe go and attack the basket. Um, you know, losing his presence on the inside was something that, you know, we knew we would have to make up for. Charles Bain obviously wasn't the same type of defender uh, that, that Yanis was. Um, and so that was something that we knew we'd have to try and improve upon. Uh, the thing we probably didn't estimate, uh, we underestimated was the lack of size in the backcourt. Um, and not only because, you know, Cam Ferris or, you know, Traden or Enoch were freshmen, uh, that, that obviously puts you, you know, maybe physically from a strength perspective, a little bit disadvantaged, but just the overall size. I mean, you, you look at, you know, the amount of time that our guards were posted this year compared to any other time in my history here is, is dramatic. You know, I, I think guard, our guards were posted potentially more than our forwards were. Um, and so that's something that we have to, you know, try to adjust the size, the length. Uh, the physicality that is a part of the league is something that we have to adjust to. Uh, I remember we were playing at UIC this year, and, and one of their assistants was an assistant at Bryant last year. And I was talking to him before the second game, and he said during the course of the game, one of their other assistants leaned over to him and said, are these good-sized guards in the Northeast Conference? And he said, not only are they good-sized guards, they're some of the better guards in the Northeast yeah. Conference, John yeah. and Dante. Yeah. And, and the guy was like, Wow. But that was the world we lived right. in, right? Yeah. There was right. there was three guys on the court almost at all times in the Northeast Conference that were probably six foot four or under, right? Now in, in, in the Horizon League, most of these teams have one or two guys on the court under six foot four, period. Mm-hmm. And so th- those are the things that we have to look at as we, you know, look to recruit, um, you know, size, length. Because uh, length is something that translates, right? You know, like if you're, you know, a little bit longer and a little bit taller, maybe that shot can test becomes a little bit more effective uh, versus, you know, a shorter guy closing out to you. You know, obviously rebounding becomes, you know, you have a better chance of rebounding with length. You have a better chance of keeping people in front of you with length. You know, so all those things I think are are stuff that we're looking at and trying to analyze as we move and try to compete the way we want to compete in the Horizon League. 
What has been the most difficult part for you uh, recruiting players in this pandemic? I mean, the hardest part is you, you don't get a feel for them as much. You know, Zoom calls and text messages and FaceTimes and phone calls is great. Uh, but you don't really get some of the human interaction, right? You don't get some of the, you know, responses or the, you know, get a feel for who, who and how they behave when you're in their presence. You know, so whether it's visiting them at their high school or their junior college, whether it's having them on an official visit or an unofficial visit, you, know, you get a chance to kind of see how they operate. I'm a, I'm a body language guy and I, I like to observe, you know, different things. And it's hard to tell on, on a Zoom call. You know, I've told our staff when we're on Zooms with recruits, it's like when, if I say something like, Make sure somebody's looking at this kid as I'm talking to see, is he paying attention? Is is he becoming uncomfortable? You know, trying to get a feel for who they are. And it's uh, that's the hardest part. You know, I, I think that, you know, people have become more and more accustomed to using Zoom and, and being able to put presentations, you know, on the computer that really um, maybe you didn't do before. You know, that, that so that part of it has been good, but you don't always get some of that personal interaction that allows you to, you know, get a, more of a sense of who they are. It, it, it's never going to be foolproof as it is, but sometimes when you're in somebody's presence, there potentially can be some tells that you say, okay, I'm not sure that he really liked when I said that, or man, did you see how he responded when I said that? It, it, it's just a little bit harder to get a feel for that over a computer screen. So how did COVID ultimately affect the season and really being able to develop some of the key freshmen that we, we saw a lot of freshmen throughout the lineup this year. How hard was it? Because, I mean, I'm sure there were times that with the pauses, you just were not able to work with them and maybe be able to develop them throughout the season as you would have liked. And I, and I don't know. I mean, again, some of this stuff becomes, you know, a little bit of sour grapes or a little bit of an excuse making. But at the end of the day, this this was our season, right? We, we were great August, September, October. We were terrific. Uh, we, we Halloween hits. And, um, you know, right after Halloween, you know, we had a number of guys that went into their first you know, quarantine of the year. And we went from, I think, November 6th to December 4th without a full team practice. And so now you're looking at, you know, not only should you be playing games at that time, gaining experience, yeah. building your habits, having instincts, you have no team practices. So we practiced December 4th. We played Point Park on the 5th. We practiced on the 6th. We practiced on the 7th. We practiced on the 8th. We went back into quarantine again. We couldn't, we couldn't practice again until the 18th or 17th. We have a full team practice on the 17th. We play Bowling Green the next day. We practice. We play Marshall. Charles Bain gets hurt at Marshall. Yep. Uh, so now we're three games in and about three team practices in a, in a seven, eight-week span, right? Um, so you just don't have the habits. Like you just, you know, like some of the things that you need to do in order to win, you know, defensive positioning, second, third, fourth efforts, closeouts, uh, rotations, uh, some of the toughness plays that you need to make, those have got to be instilled every day. You know, they, they got to be they got to be talked about. They got to be shown on film. They've got to be drilled each and every day. And when you can't do that for stretches, it makes it hard, especially for freshmen. Like mm -hmm. one of the things that I talked to John Williams about was this year for you. I mean, obviously, he had a very strong season for us. And I think one of the reasons is, is because he knows everything inside and out. Right. So like when, when you talk about like these guys needing to understand the way to play, the way you need to make decisions, where to be on the floor, like John knows that stuff backwards and forwards, inside and out. And so for him, like missing those practices maybe even saved his body. So when he got to the games, he was fresher than he would have been in years past. But those guys still are trying to develop the right habits and the right instincts that they need to have in order to win games. So when you're going into environments where you have some guys that might be bigger, faster, stronger, slightly more talented, and your instincts and your connectivity isn't there, it makes it harder to win. And I think in some of those close losses we had, 
you know, it was a handful of possessions in the first half or a handful of possessions in the second half where guys either got fatigued or had breakdowns or, you know, there were games this year, which is it, it's crazy to say as a coach where like we go to play Bowling Green or we go to play Marshall or even Purdue Fort Wayne early in the conference year. And we go, yeah, we haven't gone over that yet. Right. Like we, yeah. we, we, we yeah. like yeah. When, when these guys come out of quarantine, we're trying to make mm-hmm. sure that they're OK mentally. We're trying to make sure that we can get some baseline of conditioning. We're trying to hope that they remember, you know, our baseline out of bounds plays, our sideline out of bounds plays in our offense. Yeah. We're trying to make sure they're generally in the right area defensively, but like some of that next level of detail you can't get to because you really need that time in in November and December to to build some of those habits as you're going through games because right. as crazy as it sounds, like even when you're in September and October, you're going through your drill work, you're creating some of those habits no doubt, but you don't have the game as a teacher. So when you get into November and you play a game and you have a freshman make X number of mistakes and then you can practice for two or three days after that, now all of a sudden that stuff starts to get ingrained, right? Even in October, you might say to Enoch or Traden or Khalil Spear, who even though he has two years experience, mm-hmm. is still trying to learn our system. Yeah, right. You say, that's not gonna work in a game. And they kind of look at you like, all right, yeah. We'll see about that. And then when the game comes and it doesn't work, doesn't you work. go, boom. Right. See, yep. that is. doesn't work. Here it is. This is why we got to do it this way. And so we didn't really have some of those those opportunities to do that, right? Yeah. And so it just made it that much more complicated. Right? And then even as we, we, we got through, you know, that, that third or whatever, the fourth quarantine, and we get to play Purdue-Fort Wayne, we play Milwaukee, we go back into quarantine, right? We're 2-1 and one in the Horizon League. We had, you know, a good win at Purdue-Fort Wayne. We had a grind-out win here against Milwaukee. And then we come out of quarantine and we got to play UIC, NKU, and, and Wright State, you know, in consecutive weeks. And, you know, I said this to a couple of people in our, and, and to our staff, like, I don't think we ever got in the proper condition to be able to compete the way you need to compete, you know. Yeah. So now, you know, we have guys that are coming out of quarantine. Charles Bain's coming off a calf strain and out of quarantine, going to play UIC, who is one of the more talented teams in our league, one of the biggest, longest teams in our league. And we got to play them back-to-back. Right. So remember, like now, like like conditioning not only allows you to play well in the game you're in, a symbol of conditioning is how quickly you can recover. Mm -hmm. So now in 22 hours, you've got to come back and play another game. That's a heck of a challenge regardless. When I was in college at Penn, the Ivy League plays back to back. I was terrible on Saturday. Right. Like I, I, I struggled to recover that quickly. And so now you're looking at every one of these games being back to back and you're a little bit physically disadvantaged, you know, you know, from the jump, whether it's with size, strength, whatever, now you throw in a, a little bit of a lack of conditioning, it becomes a real uphill battle. And, and I, overtime basketball as and well. And overtime basketball. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we played those those five overtimes and, and the one double overtime. I mean, we had six overtime periods. That's like playing a whole nother, you know, three quarters of a game, yeah. right? So, and, and, and it just, you know, this is stuff that I think when we've gone back now in the last couple of weeks and tried to analyze our year and we look at some of the factors that didn't allow us to be more successful, you know, these are some of the things that we've come up with. Um, you hate it when you're going through it, but you know, as we met with guys in preparation for our spring workouts to start, this was a lot about what we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, and um, a lot of the stuff that we need to clean up and a lot of the stuff that we need to embrace, right? You know, it, it's hard to challenge guys, especially during this year, to do some of the really hard and uncomfortable things that, that help you win. And I think you see it from some of the other teams across the country. Like as you look at the landscape of college basketball, you know, some of the more mature, older teams, you know, they're having some more success than, you know, some of the new teams that really haven't been able to ingrain what it takes to be successful in Division One basketball. And, you know, it's been a challenge for everybody. Uh, everybody's had, you know, horror stories of, of dealing with this, or many people have had, you know, horror stories. But if you look at, you know, some of the top teams in our league this year, you know, Cleveland State never had a pause. 
and they, yep. they, they never had a pause. So you, there, there were. I mean, obviously, your the, the the COVID cloud is hanging over everybody's head, but you know, you're going through your weeks, you're getting in your conditioning, you're allowing your team to function properly. Like one of the things that was hard for us too is like you play Friday, Saturday, you take off Sunday, you come back Monday. Like you're still not recovered from Saturday night. So like how hard how hard can you go on Monday? You know, so now mm -hmm. even when you have a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday to get prepared for the next weekend, you have to be really careful about how hard you can push in those times because, you know, got, you, you need them for Friday, Saturday. So mm -hmm. if on Monday and Tuesday they, we blow it out, now maybe it, it hurts them because now you're looking at going six straight days. I mean, we don't go six straight days, period, in, in a regular year. Like when we plan our practices in the, in, the, in, the, in the fall, we go three days on one day off. Right? Always so three days on one day off, three day on one day off, because there's a lot of data out there that says on day four, five and six is when a lot of injuries occur. Right. Because mm -hmm. your body hasn't recovered. You're not as in, in as good of, uh, you know, physical and mental awareness. And, and that's where some injuries occur. So we go three on one off. And even when you get into games, you're usually, you know, practice for two, play a game, have a day off two practices game. You know, you're that's kind of the routine you're in. So now when you're going Monday through Saturday, Monday through Saturday with games on the back end, you know, that's a challenging week period, let alone, you know, with all the other things that are going on. Yeah, and when we talked to Khalil uh, earlier this year, he mentioned just, you know, how the, the guards go through the bigs and the bigs roll through the guards. And obviously he was just completely new to the program, but yeah. also dealing with Enoch being new and Traden being new and Cam being new. Yeah. That team chemistry, you know, I'm sure was just hard to build from the beginning. Did Was it a detriment not having those non-conference games as well? That a lot of them were being canceled to be able to prepare for Horizon League's action as well. Always, I mean, I mean, I think the the more experience you can get, guys, you know, not having our close scrimmages. You know, again, usually in in October we have two scrimmages, one in the middle of October, one at the end, and it's a great eye opener for guys. Like I remember, you know, having freshmen in those first scrimmages. Um, you know, uh, Velton Jones, who was a great player for us. You know, I remember his his first scrimmage, his redshirt freshman year. His red, his freshman year, I, I was all all the whole year. You got to shoot faster. You got to shoot faster. This isn't game speed shooting. This isn't game speed shooting. And he's looking at me like, okay, okay, okay. I'm like, this isn't fast enough. This is. We get in our his first scrimmage against Niagara. He pulls up for an elbow jump shot. The ball rockets off the backboard like nothing you've ever seen, right? <laughs> like and he's just chucking it off the backboard. Yeah, like I mean, because he's going a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. He elevates this high, right? Because now it's game speed, baby. Mm -hmm. And that thing flies off the backboard. And he comes out about two possessions later. And he sit, I'm an assistant at the time. He sits down next to me. I go, game speed shooting? He goes, holy, you know, beep. I don't know if you can curse on this show or not. But he was like, you know, now I, now I know what you're talking about, right? And, but, but sometimes when you don't have that feel, you know, if you don't get that feeling of being a little bit uncomfortable and, man, I wasn't prepared for that, you continue to convince yourself you are prepared, right? And then when you get into the game and you get hit, you know, if you don't have ways to prepare you know, to, to, to repair that, um, it becomes hard. So, yeah, not having the non-conference, you know, not being able to be together as a team. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you think about the amount of time you spend in the locker room, you, you have meals, you travel, you know, together, you're in the airport together. You know, we didn't have any of that, you know, in the fall doing team building stuff like we weren't really allowed to be in groups together where you're where you build some of that chemistry and that connectivity and you get to know everybody. It's like. Again, we had some Zooms over some of the quarantines, but it's, it's hard, you know. It, it just becomes a little bit more challenging to kind of create, you know, some of that stuff. We try to do some, uh, some goofy stuff. We had a one Zoom that was like your most embarrassing moment just to try and create. This is when we had, this was in November. We had been in like, you know, three weeks straight of quarantine. 
And I said to our staff, let's just do like your most embarrassing moment. And we all got on a Zoom and everybody just kind of told their most embarrassing story. And guys were like dying laughing, but it was the first time we'd seen anybody laugh in, you know, in a long time because yeah, right. it just was like wearing on on everybody. And, uh, you know, so those are, again, all the challenges that, that everybody's faced through this last 360, however many days that we've been shut down, um, you know, or gone through this whole pandemic. And it, and it makes winning basketball games even that much harder. Can you speak on the freshman class's development, especially Enoch Cheeks, Traylon Williams, and uh, Cam Ferris? Can you speak on their development this year and how they've grown as, as players over the course of the year? Yeah, I think uh, we, we have high hopes for all three of those guys. I think all of them are talented guys. I think they all can help us win games in the Horizon League. I think they all have to continue to improve like every freshman. You know, this was a unique year where they were able to really uh, get a, a ton of experience uh, and come back as freshmen. Um, you know, play 19 games, you know, uh, I think all those guys played 15 minutes or more per game, you know, trading was at 23. I think Cam Ferris was at 21. Enoch was at 16 or 17, you know, uh, understanding what it takes, what's important, you know, what matters. Uh, I, I think that those things are critical. You know, obviously you saw some up and down shooting from Enoch and trading, you know, that's something we got to work on. You know, Cam Ferris was obviously consistent on the offensive side of the floor. We got to get him more consistent on the defensive side and then also the physicality. Uh, you know, so I think those guys we, we have high hopes for as they build, as, as they grow into becoming, you know, uh, freshmen again next year. And this spring and summer will be critical for them because we think they're talented enough. We think they have a lot of the, 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 the necessary skills and mentality to help us win. It's just a matter of being able to do it consistently uh, and doing it at a, at a higher and more efficient level. What did you make of no fans this year? Obviously, everybody noticed it and just – hearing at times in the arena just a quiet with no fans and sometimes even pumped in crowd noise um, as well I'm sure had to be interesting we heard the bench at the beginning of games just going crazy at times really at making it feel like there was a crowd at times was that a was that a part of the game plan no I mean it, it, obviously we always want to have an active bench I mean I think even when you if you've watched us in years where there is crowds our, our bench is really active I, mean, I think mm -hmm. being being good teammates and, and cheering your teams on is is something that you should do as a member of a team um, you know, I think there's always stuff that you can bring to your team, even if you're not in the game. Can you communicate, you know, what's going on out there? Can you bring some positive energy? Can you create an energy and a spirit, you know, within that timeout or that huddle or with the teammate that when they hit the floor, they're going to go out and they're going to go and play the right way? Um, I hated the no fans part. You know, I really thought that it was, uh, it was hard. It was, you know, scrimmage-like at times. You know, the energy, the environment was tough, especially on those Saturday nights. You know where you're coming back 22 hours later it's kind of like they're looking at each other like you guys again yeah here, hey what's up you know it's like it just <laughs> it didn't have some of the intensity and the and, and and the atmosphere that you would love to have um in a uh in, in a college basketball environment right yeah and, and that's one of the things that i think everyone loves about college basketball is the environment is the, the the student section is the crowd noise is you know the passion that guys play with you know when there's you know uh, fans in the stands and you know, it just, it, it wasn't the same. I mean, even from a coaching perspective, I mean, there's times where it's like, you know, you're calling out a play and, you know, the other bench is just staring at you, looking at you, going like, okay, like, what's that? Say that again, coach. We couldn't, we couldn't hear that to write it down so we can go and figure out what your calls are. And, you know, all those things just, you know, made it different than it ever was. Mm -hmm. The crowd noise I, I, was something that you didn't really notice after a while. You know, it just became, you know, part of the background noise. Um, but you did. It just, it just did not feel... Uh, normally like games would feel you know you didn't have the feel of like for me 
you know, I'm in a locker room before the game and I hate being in a locker room before the game. I like to kind of see what's going on. But the idea of, you know, you know, it's six o'clock and the first fans start to trickle in. And then, you know, you, you go in at 45 minutes and you do your, your keys to the game and your pregame stuff and come back out. And there's, you know, some more people in the building. And then you you come back in. It's, you know, just that anticipation, the band, the crowd, the cheerleaders, the, the noise, you know, all that stuff, which is, you know, such a fun piece of college basketball. You know, we were we were robbed of. And, uh, you know, I think it was a little bit, you know, not unfair, but it was a little bit hard for some of our players at times you know, to get themselves up. You know, mm-hmm. I think some of those games, you know, whether it was the Youngstown State weekend or there's Northern, Northern Kentucky game here, like you're in a one possession game late and you need to stop and you got the Colonial Crazies behind the basket they're shooting at, you know, maybe they can give us a boost, you know, give us a lift, help us get that stop. Maybe, you know, create that, that edge or that just small separation we needed to get over the hump this year uh, that we didn't have. And, you you mentioned all the tough games in the overtime games with Youngstown State, uh, UIC. How hard was it to you for you as a coach to kind of be so close to winning a game, like one possession behind them, and then just not being able to get over that hump, and then finally against Oakland in double overtime, you were able to get get that win that you were looking for. Yeah, I think I said in the post game we just suck in single overtime. We needed to get to double, <laughs> right? Yeah. If we could have got to double more, maybe we would have been more successful. Um, yeah, I think that was a great win for our guys. I think they, they had fought really hard to get that win, and we had some things go our way down the stretch. Dante made some big shots for sure. Uh, guys, you know, everybody contributed and stepped up. And, you know, those are the things that as a coach, you, you try and use those as a build. You know, everything's a teaching moment, right? Uh, and so the losses were teaching moments, and, and, and some of the wins were teaching moments. Um, you know, I wish we could have had some more teaching moments after wins. There's no doubt. But, you know, again, that's part of getting guys to understand what it takes I think sometimes, too, with young guys, they have to build some scar tissue. You know, like you have to have, you know, a game or two that sticks in your brain. And, and unfortunately, now in 14 years, I have too many that are stuck in my brain. And some of these guys look at me like I'm nuts when I'm talking about, you know, the overtime loss at Wagner in 2011 when Russell Johnson and Velton Jones didn't box out on a free throw and the guy tips it. You know, like some of those things that stick in my brain. And, you know, like I try to say to them, like, there's a reason that I'm asking you and we're asking you as a staff to do the things you're doing because we've been burnt by this before, yeah. right? Like we, mm-hmm. we, we, we've lost a game and what we're trying to do is not have you experience the same things, but inevitably and unfortunately, sometimes you have to go through that, right? You have to go through that. And, and if you do an honest evaluation of yourself as a player and you realize, man, I wasn't ready for that game. Like, I, I, you know, like Enoch had a great game against uh, – I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Northern Kentucky at 15 on Friday night or whatever. And then he came back on Saturday and they scored, you know, seven points in the first, like four minutes in the game, mm-hmm. three minutes in the game. And like, just not as engaged, right? Sometimes you have to go through those experiences to learn how to prepare yourself for each and every game as you go through a season in your career. You mentioned the length difference and height difference that you saw between the NEC and Horizon League. Other than that, what were some other differences you noticed in the style of the way the game was played between the two conferences? You know, I think it was a much cleaner game. You know, I think, you, you know, watching some of the NEC games, I and mean, we had some real grind-out games in the NEC, uh, some games that probably weren't going to the Naismith Hall of Fame anytime soon, whether it was from a <laughs> uh, statistical uh, situation of, like, man, it's, like, 22 to 21 at the half, and – both teams are shooting 19 and a half percent and have, you know, 14 turnovers. Um, didn't have any of those, right? I think there's just a cleaner brand of basketball. You know, I think there's some more skill, uh, some more shot making, you know, talking to, to some other coaches in the Horizon League because, you know, they all ask, you know, what, what, what's the difference? What do you see? 
you know, like you have guys in the Horizon League who, uh, you know, for example, on, on one possession come down and, and they, you know, run a ball screen action and you're half a step late on your closeout and the guy raises up and makes a three. And so, of course, as a player, you're thinking to yourself, what, like, I got to get to that closeout, right? And so now the next possession, similar action, they run the same thing. You go close out out of control, and that guy goes right by you, and he finishes at the rim. I think when we were in the NEC, and not to, not to you know, speak negatively about any of the guys in that league, but sometimes there was more guys in that league that were one or the other. You know, um, hey, this guy can really shoot, it, and I was late on that closeout. I can now go be aggressive as I want, and he's not going to hurt me if he puts it on the floor. Uh, so I think there were some guys with, that were multi-skilled, uh, that, that you had to be able to contend with, you know, guards that, again, you know, you do a great job guarding a ball screen, you take away his initial drive, boom, now he flips his hips and now he's posting you, you know, two, three feet from the basket and kind of working you down and being able to shoot a short little, you know, floater or runner. Uh, those are things that we did not see in the Northeast Conference, right? So I think those are things that are, are become the adjustments and the analysis you have to make to be able to prepare your team to handle the new challenges that are a part of the league. But you know, I, I, I like the league. I, I think that the league, again, was, was good basketball. There's good coaches. Guys are making good adjustments. You know, you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're really, you know, analyzing ways that you can attack, you know, different matchup zones. And, you know, some of the different stuff we saw from a basketball nerd perspective, that part was fun. Um, <laughs> you wish you could have attacked some of them better or stopped some, really stopped some of them better. You know, our offensive numbers were probably as, you know, uh, on par with where we've been uh, or even a little bit better percentage-wise, you know, than in the last couple of years. But, you know, our defensive numbers were just so skewed because we weren't able to stop anybody. And did you have an inclination throughout last regular season that there was going to be a move in conference, or did that kind of take you by surprise like it did everybody else, basically? Um, you know, obviously it's something that's been, been you know, talked about for a while. Um, I, I probably did not realize until much later that it was going to be as um, immediate as it was. Uh, and, and, again, I think that's – Stuff that in the spring, you know, um, you know, kind of assumed that we were preparing for, you know, a chance to, you know, defend our title in the Northeast Conference, and then, you know, had to flip the switch real quick as 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 the Horizon League came about. But again, it, there's no there's no perfect time to do any of this stuff, you know. Uh, and so I think that it was an opportunity presented to us, and, and we took advantage of it, and now we got to adjust and, and make it happen. Yeah. Um. So. Awesome, awesome. You want to go? Sure, sure. Yeah, we're professionals. Yeah, we like to give each other chances to speak. Um, So, obviously, we saw in the middle of the season, A.J. Brahma decided to step away from the team and wasn't there for Wright State matchup against Loud and Love, and then further further on into the season, decided to transfer out of the program. What really just transpired there? Uh, you know, it's it's it, it, it. Welcome to college athletics, right? This is this is uh, if this is going to mm-hmm. be the the world you guys live in. Uh, this is this is going to become the norm, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just I think that there are, uh, you know, you saw it go on at Pitt, you know, you saw it go on at Nebraska, you know, you see it at every level, you know, now, um, and it's unfortunate, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. and for guys that are, you know, I think, like I we talked about in the beginning of this podcast. You know, I've been a part of a team now for 36 seasons and don't really and not sure I want to really understand the mindset of somebody that would not finish the season out. Yeah. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that that's something that, you know, uh, I hated playing soccer when my parents signed me up for soccer. But they said, well, then you cannot play next season. Mm-hmm. But there's still four more Saturdays that you got to get out of bed and 
go play soccer right. um, at 7 a.m. I'm like, okay. Finish this, it out with your teammates. This is great, right? <laughs> um, and, and so, I, like, again, that's always been my mindset. That's the, always the, the way that I was mm-hmm. raised. And um, But this has become the norm. You know, like I, I talked to a, a high major head coach this morning about a kid who's transferring, and uh, it's, it's a shame when the, the response was this. Well, he was unhappy with his role for a majority of the year, but he, fin- he, he, he did it the right way, and he finished the season out. I mean, how mm-hmm. low are we setting the yeah. bar? Right. Right? Like, I mean, that, that's – and, again, that's from a Power 5 head coach, right? And yeah. so if you're dealing with it at that level where guys are thinking that they're going to be going making, you know, NBA players and serious amounts of money that are willing to walk away from, you know, games and opportunities to continue to show what you can do or to, you know – improve a, a, a draft status or a pro status mm-hmm. um you know it just it's what it's going to become you know if it if it's not if it's not good enough for me or it, it's not going the way i want it to go or people might perceive that i'm a part of um you know a losing situation uh then i don't want to be a part of it and and that stuff is is troubling because i don't know what you can do about that you know we Obviously, you try and vet everybody as best you can in recruiting, but you don't really know until they're in it. You don't really mm-hmm. know how they're going to work day to day. You know, you try and gain those perspectives from, you know, their previous coaches or you know, uh, your own experiences. But you don't know. You yeah. know, and everybody's mm-hmm. just like on a job interview. Everyone's under their best behavior during the recruiting process, right? Uh, and then when they get here and it gets hard, and it gets harder maybe than it's ever gotten, and things aren't again going your way. Um, you're gonna you're gonna rely on whatever your instincts or your behavior is, and that might be to, you know, remove yourself from the situation, um, instead of continuing to fight to try and fix the situation. And those are the things mm-hmm. that I think I don't ever really want to understand, um, because I don't think that that's the way I want to raise my sons, mm-hmm. and that's not the way that I would want to behave. Right? Like, yeah. you know, all of a sudden we lose that game to Wright State, and I say, well, I'm not coaching the rest of the year because I don't like the way the year's going. No, that's that's life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. that those are the habits that make you successful in life. Hey, I just lost my job. I didn't get the promotion. Hey, you know, someone just got sick. Hey, something just happened with my family. What, what do you do? Stop mm-hmm. doing stop doing it. Right. Like your kid disappoints you. I'm not your dad anymore. No, that's not that can't be the way that it works. Right. right? right. And unfortunately, that's the mindset of a lot of college athletes today. And, uh, you know, it's a shame. And, and we're moving in a direction of, of more and more autonomy for them, whether it's with the ability to transfer. And those things are great. Don't get me wrong. Those, those things are great. You want to go somewhere else and transfer? Go right ahead, right? Like, again, I, I don't want to be held someplace that I don't want to be. You guys don't mm-hmm. want to be held someplace you don't want to be. Yeah. If you don't like this podcast, you should have the opportunity to get up and walk out and not do it again if you don't want to. <laughs> We're having right? a great time here. Yeah, right? I appreciate yeah, yeah. it. But, but, but at the same token, consequences come with that, yeah. right? And that's the thing that's funny to me is that some of these guys don't want to handle the consequences of their behaviors. You know, it's like, um, you know, and, and this isn't in AJ's case at all, but it's, it's happened certainly to us in the past where, you know, a guy is a terrible practice player. A guy is maybe not a, a, a great teammate. And all of a sudden, like, you know, you hear like, coach, why, why did you say to coach that coach X that, you know, I'm not a great practice player? Because you're not. Because you're not like, what do you want me to tell him? You're 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 a great practice player. You want to lie to the yeah, exactly. Staff, you, want me, you, want, you, want, you, you want me to, and, and there's coaches out there that do it. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that's not the way I'm doing it. Hey, he's a nice kid. He never really, you know, didn't do this, didn't do that. He did this, he did that, and then you make your decision on based on what you think is right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
But I'm not going to sit there and say, not be honest with somebody about the way somebody behaves in our program um, because it's their livelihood as well, right? Like they're trying to make, and I would want somebody to tell me honestly about the way somebody behaves so that if I do decide to make a decision like an adult, I handle the consequences if it doesn't work out the right way. Do you, um, go ahead. No, no, go go ahead. ahead no. no, that's what I was oh, okay. Uh, do you think there's a transfer problem in the NCAA now? I mean, we see like four players in Green Bay. They're all in the portal now. Got you. You in the past have had guys transfer out like Deshaun Burke, who's moved to Nebraska, who's gone on to Nebraska, and we see guys like you talked about Pitt and other schools now this year, and then especially now with the extra year of eligibility, and then the new transfer rule that might be coming, might not. We don't know yet. April but, probably is going to yeah. come. I think. Yeah. Uh, so, do you think there's a real problem here right now, and is there something that you think needs to be fixed here? I think it's a reflection of our society. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think it's an NCAA problem. I think it's a societal problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Look at the number of kids that transfer high schools. Look at the number of kids that transfer AAU teams. Right. Everybody just moves when it doesn't work in their favor. And I was a transfer. I mean, I was a transfer. Like I went to Elon University for two years. I transferred to the University of Pennsylvania. And it's funny, like when when in, in 1998, the Stone Ages guys back in the day, <laughs> the <Stone> um, <laughs> when, when I, in 1999, when I went to talk to my coach about transferring, this is literally what he said to me. I said, coach, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I didn't know what I was going to do because I was, I was, somebody had presented the, 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 the idea of transferring to me. And my initial response was I committed to this person, this program for four years. I'm going to stay for four years and I'm going to honor my commitment. Right. Mm-hmm. And then literally I, um, couldn't stop thinking about the opportunity of maybe going to a school or going to a place where we I felt we'd have a better chance to compete to go to the NCAA tournament uh, where I maybe was able to get closer to, uh, you know, where friends and family. Right. And so I reached back out and said, you know, how would I go about doing this if I wanted to do it? And at that time you had to get your release. So I had to go talk to my coach to get my release. And I was the leading scorer, leader in minutes, leader in assists, leader in steals, you know, all this stuff. And I walk in and I say, you know, I don't know, um, really how this works i don't know if i want to do this i'm frustrated with things you know i'm thinking about maybe transferring it and and he literally said to me if that's the way you feel you should leave and i was like well i thought we were going to have some kind of conversation about maybe why i was frustrated or what was going on or you know any of those kind of things um you're not even going to try and like keep me here like i was Mm -hmm. our leading scorer right like um and he said i'm real big on loyalty and if you don't feel like you want to be here then you should go and so at that point in time, I wasn't sure I wanted to go. That kind of made my decision for me because mm-hmm. he basically said, if that's the way you feel, you got to go. And I felt like, okay, we're never going to have any kind of relationship moving forward. So I probably got to figure out where to go. And then I went to a meeting that following Monday with, a, with an assistant athletic director. And they informed me that if I asked for my release, that um, my scholarship would be you know, taken away from me at the end of the semester. Right. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Right. So... I think about that my own experience now with all these guys that transfer um, because when you transfer then people thought that there was something wrong with you mm-hmm. right like there was something wrong with you now it's flipped where there's something wrong with the coaches there's something wrong with the program what's going on mm-hmm. no like some of these guys want to continue to get recruited they mm-hmm. want to they want to get adulation they want to be on social media the grass is always greener like everywhere you go it's really hard but we haven't prepared them because we've allowed them to transfer teams. We've allowed them to transfer high schools. We've allowed them to, we've reclassed them as 
as sixth and seventh graders so that they can be the biggest, oldest, strongest dudes. And they've never had experience not being good. And now you're not as good, right? Like now it's harder. Now people are on you every day. They want you to do all this stuff that, you know, in high school, you're the best player. And I was fortunate I played for a high school coach that didn't work this way. And there's not a lot of programs like this. Even, even, even the best programs you hear about in the, across the country, um, there's very few that, that continually hold everybody accountable because they need you to win. Mm-hmm. Right. When you get to college, everybody's held to another level of accountability that they're not comfortable or used to. And because their habit is to not like that, there's pushback towards it. And I think you have it all across every society, everywhere. Like what, what are the what are the numbers of um, of regular college students that transfer? Probably yeah. good percentage. Probably I, I don't I don't know. Right, the numbers, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but uh-huh. like, again, I think it's a societal thing. I mean, how many friends, I mean, I have a lot of friends that, you know, they, they change jobs very frequently, right? Well, mm-hmm. Why are you changing jobs all the time? Because, you know, this person offered me a little bit more money. This place seemed like it was a little better. Mm-hmm. I don't really like my boss. All the same things that these guys are going through right now. And so uh, the, the, as we make it easier and easier for them to do that, it's going to become utilized more and more. It doesn't mean it's going to make it better for people. You know, like I always use the analogy, if you're in a, in a, you know, alcohol or drug program and you just move from place to place, like you have the same problems, you just move to a new address, right? Like everyone thinks, well, if I just pick up and I move to California, like everything's going to be so much better for me. No, you're going to be the same person now in California that, than you were in, in Pittsburgh. And until you address or attack some of your weaknesses, you're not going to improve. Like that's where improvement comes mm-hmm. from. So it's uh, that's a long-winded answer, uh, and we could probably talk about it even longer, mm-hmm. you know, because some of the experiences that I've had with it, and all of the college coaches have had with it, uh, have been crazy. Because you know, like as the general population, you look at it as like, oh, there's a problem in the NCA. I mean, we we we've talked to a ton of people in these last two three weeks where it's like, um, hey, coach, I think so and so is going to be leaving at the end of the year, and you're like, man, he why? He's a pretty good year. Yeah, he just you know he wants something different. You know, we mm-hmm. we, we talk to high school coaches that'll say you know, well, this kid can go there and if it doesn't work out, he can always transfer. Like that's like, mm-hmm. that's like the plan B, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, yo, coach, he's going to go to a level yeah. that he might not play that much, right? He's going to go, you know, to a power five school, blah, blah. Yeah, but like, you know, he can't always transfer after. Well, that's got to be difficult on you because you don't, you just don't know if they're going to be around all four years then, right? Like how do you, obviously you're game planning season to season, but looking in the long-term picture, how are you able to game plan just to be able to know what your roster is going to look like, especially when two or three players maybe are transferring a season and you want to be able to craft the roster to be able to fit now the Horizon League style basketball? Yeah, I mean, just add it to the list of responsibilities, right? Like on every job description at the bottom, it's like other duties as assigned. Just add that to that <laughs> as, as, as a coach in, in any sport in college athletics because you're constantly taking the temperature. I mean, you have a practice where a guy has a rough day and maybe you get on him pretty hard that day. You know, in that post-practice meeting with your staff, you might be saying, hey, yo, make sure you check on him because, you know, who knows, right? Like right, he just right. got salty. He right, didn't right. He didn't like it, you mm-hmm. know? And and so there's, there's so much more of that going on, right? You get to December and January and you sit there and go like, okay, like, like do we think there's anybody that might be unhappy and wanting to leave? Like why you have to have those conversations mm-hmm is crazy but it's it's the landscape of college basketball at this point in time do we think that this guy even though he might be good or we think he has a future here maybe not being all in is a symbol that we not we got to have a list of guys at that position that we might want to 
think about at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking ahead to this se- this upcoming season, what are your goals here in terms of recruiting? Like, are you looking for more size now, or are you looking to attack a certain position uh, during this recruiting process? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, size and, and length is certain some, something we're looking at, you know, um, you know, adding Justin Winston and Brandon Stone, two guys that came here in January, you know, transfer from St. Bonnie's and LaSalle. You know, those guys have some legit size. Justin, mm-hmm. six foot eight, Brandon, six foot ten. Um, you know, Pat Suman and Khalil Spear in that group of guys. You know, I, I think if we could add, you know, potentially another front court guy, another maybe, you know, strong bodied um, guy that maybe we can throw the ball to in the paint would be would be nice. You know, I think we also need some some length and some scoring on the wing. Uh, I think that those are some of the areas that we've we've uh, looked at that we're recruiting towards. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, really where our focus lies right now with with the remaining scholarships we have. How did recruitment change now with the Horizon League? Does it change at all? I mean, obviously you're trying to recruit a level of basketball player that's going to be compete now with the Horizon League. As you mentioned earlier, the NEC is, you know, you're either one or the other. So how does that change in terms of what you're looking for and maybe a higher level of player that you're trying to recruit? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when you're in the NEC, if you have some guys that can play in the, in the Horizon League, that can play in the Colonial Athletic Association, uh, that are on your team in the NEC, you're good, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you're in the Horizon League, you need some guys that can play, you know, whether it's in the Atlantic 10, um, you know, like if you look at some of the better players in our league, they could play in the Atlantic 10 or Missouri Valley or, you know, even some of them higher. Um, I think you need to have a handful of those guys on your team. You know, you need to have a couple of those guys in key positions that, you know, can make the plays and make the shots that you need in order to be successful. So, you know, I think that that's really what you're talking about, you know, instead of maybe a a six five small ball four man, you're you gotta get somebody that's six foot seven, six foot eight with some of those same skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, instead of a tweener, you know, maybe non positional type, you know, wing guard, uh, you might need a guy that's a little bit more, you know, six foot five, ability to make a shot, uh, high basketball IQ, you know, things like that I think are things that we've identified as areas that we, we would like to be able to improve and, and things that we need to look for in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Has it, has it changed your recruiting footprint at all? Like where you uh, look at guys, like where they're located on the map? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think we're still we're still looking in um, everywhere we can, right? We're looking mm-hmm. under every rock that we possibly can. Obviously, the transfer portal can take you into a, a, an entirely different direction mm-hmm. with guys that right. are uh, from different places. Junior college basketball recruiting can take you uh, with some guys that are outliers at times, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has not changed our footprint. You know, we're still looking everywhere we possibly can, you know, uh, you know, from the I-95 corridor on the eastern seaboard all the way into, you know, uh, Ohio and Indiana and Illinois and, you know, down into the Carolinas, into Florida. I mean, everywhere we possibly can, we're trying to be able to be in contact with players that we think are going to help us win. I've just been thinking about when he referred to 1998 as the Stone Ages because that's when I was born. <laughs> was it? Yeah. And I you was not, both, you're both right. post 2000. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm a one. Yeah. I'm my a one. my wow. brain like has shut off the possibility <laughs> that anyone was born after the year 2000. <laughs> so that's just it bothers I'm me. I'm glad we're not it, alive it, to it, you. It, 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 no, no, you, you know what I meant. Well, and here's the problem that you guys are going to face is I just turned 40 in September. Is like your brain still works like it's my brain still works like it's 1998 or 1999. Right. I still yeah, think right. I'm like right. you know 19, 20 years old, uh-huh. um, but you're in a 40 year old's body with unfortunately some 40 year old responsibility. So right. it, it'll be it'll be uh, 
like when we when we do a reunion podcast in, in 20 years, you guys will be like, holy shit, Coach, you were right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you had a few seniors on this year's team. Do you know where they stand in terms of coming back with that extra year of eligibility? We're still working through some of that. You know, obviously talking to John and Bain about those situations. Uh, you know, I think we wanted to give them a little bit of time to, you know, kind of decompress from the season and see where things things lie. Uh, but those will conver- those will be conversations that we had. We didn't talk a whole lot about it during the year. You know, I kind of wanted them to focus on the year. There was enough on their yeah. plate, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, versus having to make decisions based on, you know, what their future would hold, right? So those will be things that we discuss and, and make decisions on here shortly. And what did their leadership mean to the team this year? I know Williams uh, after a uh, game I covered. You know, he was very humble. He had, I think he had a double double that game too, uh, the Youngstown State game, the first one. Um, and he wasn't talking about that at all. Talked about, you know, we didn't win, so I'm not happy. How much did his leadership specifically mean to the team this year? I mean, it's 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 meant more than I can explain over the four years of his career so far. You know, uh, I think John has been somebody that we has been a rock for us, you know, over four years. You know, he, he, his, his demeanor has, has never wavered. He started every game in his career, um, you know, unbelievably consistent as a practice player, as a guy who understands, you know, offensive and defense execution, understands our system. Uh, you, you can't really put into words, you know, the impact that he's had in the locker room. He's just somebody that you can always rely on, that he's, he's so steady. Um, he's so about the right stuff. Uh, he's, he's a great, he has a great ability to um, look at things from, a, from the correct perspective, you know, to be able to help younger guys, you know, pull him aside, put his arm around him, you know, tell him, hey, like, this is what you got to do, right? And then there's times where he'll say, hey, to everybody, you know, we we all got to pick it up. You know, this this wasn't this wasn't what it was, and so you know he has such a great read and 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 balance to you know the messages that he delivers, and he's so respected because of the way he goes about his work. You know, and that's that's something that I think is um, you know invaluable. You know, guys that can kind of build that respect and and use um, use the way they work on a daily basis as a way to um, explain things to guys. Right? Like he he had a great thing he said to Cam Ferris at one point he said you know like we, we had played a game and, and lost a game and we were talking in the locker room afterwards and he said Cam he's like he's like here's the thing right he said he said Monday he said you got me Monday he said and I uh, uh, Chico Johnson one of our assistants he said I said to Chico after the game he said he said Cam got me today he goes but you know what I'm gonna get him the next three days and he said Tuesday I got you a little more he said Tuesday I got you he said, Wednesday, I got you a little more because you weren't consistent enough in the way that you work. He's like, I'm here every day, regardless of how I feel, right? What happened, you know, when I left practice, like I'm here every day, right? And so you came in Monday, you were, you know, refreshed and mm-hmm. had a day off. And so you're flying around, but like by Thursday, you're a little bit worn down and you're not as engaged and I'm able to take advantage of you. And, you know, like it was just such a great perspective on, know how you have to be able to work at the college level to be successful the talent is great but then if you can work the talent each and every day and stack those days then you have a chance to be really good and that's you know it was just a great way of explaining to cam about we need more from you and how you have to be more consistent in your behaviors it's not like you're not talented enough to be successful here but you got to work every day and you got to prepare yourself mentally and physically every day to try and get better or you get beat or you get beat and that's what happened yeah and looking forward into the future as well um, I'm a big advocate that you guys should play Duquesne every year. Okay. Um, you know, the experts, air quotes on Twitter, uh, <laughs> experts. say that RMU is afraid to play Duquesne. Duquesne's afraid to play RMU. 
Where do you fall in the two schools playing each other? Now each we're year? getting into some real heavy <laughs> hitting stuff. Do you want no. me to give you Keith Danbrot Sal so you can you can be in the middle of this? You know, I thought it could go that direction. <laughs> All right. can, I, I'd be glad to talk to him. Uh, we can find it you know, it, it just it's something I think that um, you know we had played it for a long time. We'd be open to playing again. You know, we haven't talked to him about it in the last couple of years. You know, they want to play it at their place all the time, mm-hmm. you know, or as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, now meeting in the Horizon League, that might change. But, uh, you know, it's something that we're always open to, always willing to have those conversations if it works out for both programs. You know, I think it's great to have that, that inner city rivalry. It's certainly a hard game for us. Um, you know, as they've always been an Atlantic 10 opponent, we've had some success against them. But, um, you know, I think there's, there's you know, a cost-benefit analysis to all this stuff, right? Uh, we're going to play 22 Horizon League games next year. So how many non-conference games can we mm-hmm. play? How many can we get at home? Uh, do we have to play some guarantee games as a part of that? You know, mm-hmm. so sometimes the window shrinks mm-hmm. a little bit smaller. It's not as easy as like you can play an in uh, infinite amount of games and, you know, there's there's some parameters to it. So, you know, it's scheduling is always a fine line. And, um, you know, I think there's got to be value in it for both teams. And that's that's what we try to find. We, we've talked about this in detail. The like a tip-off tournament with like all these local teams with Pitt, and with Pitt, Pitt ever wants to do Pitt, it again. Penn yeah. State, Duquesne, Robert Morris. I mean, all right. So now we need a three-way with with right. me, me, Coach Cable, Dan Brat. Yeah, hugs, Cable. Yeah. hugs on the call too. Hugs. <laughs> right, yeah. Who else? Penn State. We okay. can, well, yeah. can FaceTime later. Right. Oh, FaceTime. Yeah. Group yeah. FaceTime. Yeah. No, that, that was a great addition yeah. during the pandemic. I have, a, I have right. a face they can't say no to. <laughs> also, one built for radio. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, so we talk about like these these teams like possibly like trying to do a tournament or like a tip-off tournament, do like a multi-team event to start off the year to get like everyone engaged. I mean, we've seen, we've seen pit basketball dominate with like in terms of fans and everyone just to like sell out a venue, have, have a bunch of people come together for like a opening tournament. Like what would your thoughts on that? If it were ever to happen, would you, would you want to play in that to get like uh, exposure I, and all of that? I mean, I think it would be great. I mean, I, I think you, you, you know, like I, I went to school in, in Philadelphia and we had the big five. Right. And so, you know, the big five is legendary in college basketball. You know, Villanova obviously, you know, puts the most on the line because mm-hmm. they're playing against schools that they should beat. And if they don't beat, can really impact their, you know, their, their postseason, right? And right. they're taking everybody's best shot in those games. So, you know, not everybody is always as, as willing to do some of those things. Um, you know, for example, you know, in, in big five lore, Roley Massimino was the one who kind of crushed the big five because he didn't see the value in playing against Penn, potentially losing the game, and then it affecting their ability to have success in the Big East or get an at-large bid. And so, you know, there's different motivations for different people. Mm-hmm. I would be willing to do anything that I think would help promote college basketball in the city of Pittsburgh. I think there's a lot of people out there that would love to have some kind of event if they knew that it would get supported from a ticket perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the fears is like, okay, we, we rent out PPG Paints Arena and we have all these schools come in and we don't get the turnout from the city, which is a great sports town, but not always basketball is not always the number one priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, how does that work, right? Uh, could you do something where you had a triple header at, at PPG Paints and Pitt played somebody, we played somebody, and Duquesne played somebody. Mm-hmm. And you had three games during the course of the day, and it was th- those things would be great also. Um, does Pitt want to give up a home game, right? They play 20 right. ACC games. Yeah. You know, yeah, they want to play a game so. in New York City at some point in time for yeah. their fan base there. Uh, you know, so again, there's different motives that all have to kind of come together in order for those things to work out. You know, they would be great. I think it would be mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, but, you know, can we get it done? I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
And speaking more on the scheduling uh, for this upcoming season, I mean, you have games, uh, non-conference, if I have this correct, Central Michigan and Florida yep. Gulf Coast that were canceled this year because of COVID. Are there any teams that you are looking or in talks with right now? I know it's still early on in the offseason, but in talks with the possibly get scheduled? Uh, well, Central Michigan and Florida Gulf Coast, they got pushed back to this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Francis PA also was a game that was, was uh, contracted. I don't know if it was ever announced or not, uh, but that got pushed mm-hmm. back to this year. Right. You know, so we're going through some of that stuff as we speak uh, to try and you know finish our schedule out. Obviously, we were la- waiting for some of the league dates in order to get those, so we could figure out where we could kind of plot games. Um, and it's a different, you know, a different climate from a from a scheduling perspective as well. You know, how far can you travel? You know, our, our teams trying to stay more regional. Uh, in some of the you know situations where you have guarantee games, what do those guarantee numbers look like? You know, uh, like all Big East schools last year put in a, a clause in their contracts, you know, based on fan attendance. You know, so you would get X amount of dollars if you, um, you know, if it was a full capacity and then, you know, kind of a sliding scale based on numbers. So, mm-hmm. you know, all those things, I think, you know, are still in question because, you know, like we were supposed to go play West Virginia for, for a good amount of money and, and a PCR test kind of stopped us from doing that. But, um, you know, are some of those dollars going to be out there moving forward? And if they're not, do you want to go play West mm-hmm. Virginia? Or would you rather go play somebody that, you know, maybe there's a higher percentage that you can win that game? Right. So all those things are still kind of getting ironed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, some final thoughts on the 2020-2021 season and as just how hectic I'm sure it was. Um, in, in some ways, you're glad it's over, right? That, yeah. that, we've, that we've gotten through it uh, relatively safely. Uh, that we were able to play some games. I mean, I think we're very fortunate that we were able to play games. I, I think there was a lot of times during the point of the season, and especially in the fall, where you looked and said, I don't know if we're actually going to be able to get on the court and compete. Uh, so we're, we're very fortunate that we were able to do that. We're very fortunate we were able to get through you know, the whole situation uh, and everybody is, is, is in good health. You know, I think that those are the first two you know, most important frameworks of this. Um, I think everybody... Uh, is in a good place mentally, you know, because, again, there's challenges that, that go along with that. Um, you know, I don't even want to walk in a call, let alone have to stay in there for, for two <laughs> weeks. Um, so, you know, those are, those are some of the things that I think, you know, you, you kind of go to the top of the list. Uh, and then as a competitor and as a basketball coach and somebody who's passionate about the game, um, you know, disappointed in, in terms of our, our win-loss record. Uh, but excited for our future, excited to kind of get back to hopefully what is a little more of a, a normal practice workout schedule so that we can get our guys prepared. Um, I think this year was also, you know, there was, there was some value in getting a feel for what you're going to have moving forward, right? Getting a feel for this league, getting a feel for some of this, the personnel, some of the coaches that are in it. Uh, and hopefully that'll give us a great uh, ability to recruit some of the right pieces, continue to train our returning guys the right way, and come back with a with a really improved team next year. Well, Coach, we really appreciate you joining us. It was a really fun time, and, you know, we hope to do it again next season, and we wish you all the best of luck. Absolutely. You guys got to get a um, – so I don't know if you guys have heard of the podcast Slapping Glass. So no, I a, know. So no. it's, a, it's, again, a, a basketball nerd-out podcast okay. where they bring on – like Jeff Van Gundy's been on. They do, like, a lot of um, – you know, kind of tactical and coaching stuff. But one of the one of the segments they have, you can't steal theirs. But one of the segments they have is uh, start, sub, or sit, and they'll give three oh. mm-hmm. okay. uh, three options, and you got to start one, sub one, and 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 sit one. And uh, so I think you guys need some kind of if you're going to have you know 
guests on all the time, maybe a recurring um, game like that that they can play. You guys mm-hmm. come up with different topics. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve Donahue's the co- head coach at Penn. Uh, like they, he's a Philly guy, but he's coached in New York and Boston, and they did uh, New York sports fans, Philly sports fans, or Boston sports fans sub start set. So there was oh, wow. create some pretty good dialogue mm-hmm. yeah, on, yeah. on oh, yeah. decisions that your guests have to make. So I, that would be my uh, my feedback to you guys. If you could do that, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. I know you just said don't steal that, but based off just looking at the three, I of knew us, he was, <laughs> could, <laughs> I'm I, didn't, I didn't want to say it because inquiring minds. I knew you would. You know, yeah. There's something you guys could come up with. I think I, I, I trust the, the brain power in this room to uh-huh. be able to come up with something creative that, you know, when you get your guests on, you can kind of go through a little bit of a mm-hmm. fun segment with them mm-hmm. as well. Uh, get some of their personal thoughts instead of, you know, all the, the basketball stuff. Right. He didn't want to hurt Ethan's feelings. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Never. No. Never. <laughs> guys, I appreciate it. I really, really do. I enjoy and, and being able to come and talk with you guys. I appreciate your support of men's basketball. I mean, I know you guys are on top of it and you guys are diehard so if there's anything we can do for you guys let us know i appreciate it we love it we love it yep so thank you for joining us coach head coach andy tool joining us here on the tool shed for austin bechtold nick hederick and ethan morrison thank you for tuning in and we will see you again next season